All right, Ashley, we are we're live. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to be connected. Yeah, likewise. It's uh it's a privilege. I feel like you're one of those people that I followed on LinkedIn for so long and seen content from and whatnot for for years, but we've never actually spoken. So this is no. like a this is like a real treat. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> well, I want to I want to dive in. There's loads I want to talk to you about, but I I actually thought it would be fun to hear a little bit about like your own story first, right? Like where sure. when did you first fall in love with with marketing and and specifically like higher ed marketing? And and did that happen mm -hmm. at the same time or or did one come before the other? Uh, I will, we'll, maybe we'll find out while I explain my story, if there was a spark or not, but I went to a technical university and, uh, I went to Rochester Institute of Technology and enrolled in their least technical major that they offered. <laughs> so I have a painting degree. I have a bachelor of fine arts wow. from RIT and I, yeah, and I, was always like the art kid. I was always super creative and thought, you know, as a teenager, you follow what you're good at, right? Like if you're good at this stuff, like keep going. So spent a lot of time drawing naked people, you know, and doing the art school thing and then needed a job in college and worked in the admissions office. Okay. So started as a tour guide and then I think at one point told them that I, they shouldn't put me out on tour anymore because I was like disgruntled. <laughs> Instead, they put me at the front desk. Why not put me as like the face <laughs> of the admissions office? So I had a role that was like a little bit more like a staff role. Okay. And ended up working there over the summer and then was on a path to graduate early and was realizing then that I could be an artist. This is what I went to school for, but um, I would not be able to live <laughs> and make money um, <laughs> just doing that. I could do it. I could sell art, but I could not pay my rent if I did that. So I asked the director of admissions if I got into a graduate program, would I be able to be a graduate assistant and get some scholarship money that way? so that I could then figure out a real job. And he was like, absolutely. This sounds great. Let's find a, you know, pulled out the giant prospectus and we looked <laughs> through programs and I had been a communication minor. So there was a pretty neat program that actually had, I like, I went to school, like not wanting to do any math. Okay. There was no math in the BFA program. So okay. an MBA was actually really appealing to me, except for that whole finance part. And RIT had a program that was communications and media technology where I got to take all of the marketing classes at like in the MBA program, Okay, but it was not an MBA. So I didn't have to take all the finance classes. I took communications classes in the liberal arts school and then the marketing classes. And it was a great mix and I ended up moving into a full-time role rather than grad assistant role in the admissions office. And it was also 2007. Okay. So it was right about the time when we were asking, you know, should RIT be on Facebook? Would that be creepy? Huh. And we're like, yeah, it would be. So let's do it. <laughs> and they taught myself HTML. Then we started doing the parent and student, prospective student newsletters. Wow. I had, because I had the art and design background, like started redoing all of their publications to make them look more updated. And so I got, Kind of got my hands in a lot of things. And because the like public social media boom, Twitter happened at that same time, all of these things were happening. 
and there was not a marketing office either. Okay. So it it's still wild that almost 20 years ago, most of higher ed did not have like central marketing teams at yeah. all. They, yeah. A lot of them were in, if you were a tuition driven institution, it was the enrollment team yep. that was doing the marketing. So I ended up building RIT's social media presence, you know, grabbing all the handles, setting up all the rules, all that sort of thing from that role wow. in admissions. The spark might have been like, I, can I make money off of any of this? Is there <laughs> enough creativity in it that I'll be satisfied? But yeah, yeah good timing and the intersection of tech. I think I had um, lots of osmosis from like the much more technical people that I spent those college years with. This is so great. You're, you're taking me back. Like, uh, yeah. I, I'm remembering even, back. yeah, e even uh, a few years later, like still talking, uh, I was working uh, at, at an agency and consulting with folks who had Facebook pages, right? And mm -hmm. Instagram was like just, just coming out. And I, I mm -hmm. literally remember like the news of Facebook buying Instagram for a billion dollars and people being like, what? what yeah yeah what <laughs> a, 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 a site where you just upload photos and you can only do it from your phone and you have like five filters that you can choose from and then mm -hmm. <laughs> click post like somebody just bought that for a billion dollars and what was crazy about that time right mm -hmm. which is so hard to forget now is i, I actually remember I, I don't know if i should share this on air so i'll leave the name out but i remember for several institutions that are very well known we were, when we were creating their accounts for them, we were using, mm -hmm. like I was using my like personal password for, for a period of time because like no one over there, like what, you know, had their act together. So they weren't creating the accounts. So I would create yeah. the account and have full access to well-known institutions, Instagram handles or Instagram accounts. And then eventually, you know, they'd get, they'd go and change the password. But like to think about that happening now, right. Mm -hmm. Would it like, what a sin, what a sin. Yeah. <laughs> and yet that was it's, commonplace. It's strange. Yeah. Uh, how and the ebb and flow i think another like part of this journey that's probably interesting to talk about is where people saw investment and then where they pulled back yeah and like put in and pulled back and trying to figure out like what channel are we really supposed to be paying attention to and yeah what does hold the most value and how much human like staff or student resources to put into this stuff i think it's fluctuated with how social media has changed yeah. too, because in that time it was a much more helpful space to be in the public and sharing and storytelling and doing all of these things in like a very public way. Yeah. And it was probably, I don't know, probably that like 2014, 2015 time where like, and the ended up starting to pull back more and get more private again and yeah. private spaces. And so, yeah, that was a weird, like, it went from Facebook being just more of a private community of people who had gone to college. If you went to college and you had a .edu, you were able to be there. And then it pushed into this like wildly public space. Yeah. I'm always curious about people who've been in this space for a while on how they view the emergence of, of new platforms, right? And mm -hmm. whether at the time, right, you're that back in 2007, it's new, it's novel, you latch in, you go and you acquire all of our IT's handles. Yeah. Uh, how has that affected the way that you see things like TikTok? Like when TikTok came onto the scene, right? Like, yeah. was it was it immediately obvious to you that a school should be on TikTok? How do no, you... not immediately obvious, I don't think. And I think there's a real like cost to investing in them too. So now mm. that I'm 
you know, I think I had a very different mindset as an assistant director yeah. on a team with like a million other job responsibilities, right? Like when I was at doing all of that at RIT, I was also on the road as an admissions counselor and like wow. gone half the year. Yeah. And, you know, like it was a small part of my job. No one had really a central full-time social media position yet. RIT certainly didn't. By the time like TikTok came out, I think that there were some really interesting approaches to like, should we invest in a full in staffing this full time and having a full time strategy, or do we just throw that same amount of effort into advertising yeah. on the platform and seeing what we can do with an advertising budget? We can get in front of people faster. We don't have to curate this organic audience. We can just kind of get there and learn from it, and then decide whether it's a channel we need to be on or not. So that advertising layer, I think. Like that totally blew things up. And so I think I'm a little bit more cautious. Yeah. I'm also in a, my audience isn't everybody. So I think now that I'm in advancement and I'm not trying to recruit the entire world. Yeah. I have like a pretty defined group Yeah, <laughs> and know where they are and know enough about their needs that I can kind of slow roll it a little bit more. Yeah. Being in that side of the and you know the other completely other end yeah and not not in that central position either where i'm like the sole talking head of the university you yeah. know like there that team can probably make those decisions and we can follow along all right we're gonna play a game guys okay so first and foremost get a pen get a paper pull out your notes app on your phone whatever it might be okay got it great all right, what keywords does your website currently rank for? Take a couple seconds, right? One, two, three, four. I give you a few, not just a couple. <laughs> what doesn't it rank for that you think it should rank for? Okay, one, two, three, four. Now, what are a few keyword opportunities that you could be winning on if you just simply tweaked some of your existing website copy? Got it? Okay, how'd you do? Ooh, not so hot not sure what you can what you're currently ranking for or not sure what you could be ranking for well that's okay because our friends at dd agency want to help you answer all of these questions dd agency is a higher ed specific marketing technology agency that has conducted countless seo audits for colleges and universities across the country in these audits they detail where you currently rank what you could be ranking for exactly how copy should be tweaked on website pages and so much more. If this sounds like something that you could benefit from, give the guys at DD Agency a ping and be sure to mention that Enrollify sent you to claim a 10% discount on any of their SEO offerings. So head on over to enrollify.org forward slash DDA SEO. That's DDA as in DD Agency SEO, or simply follow the link in the show notes below. That will guarantee you get a 10% discount off of your audit. All right. Head on over to enrollify.org slash D-D-A-S-E-O or simply Google DD Agency, find DD Agency's website, and be sure to mention that you heard about them through Enrollify when you request your audit. All right, folks, back to the show. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I want to I press into this a little bit and understand how that has changed the way in which you see mm -hmm. your investment of time and, and, and the actual marketing strategies and tactics that you employ. So, right, yeah. in theory, this is an owned audience. You have, you probably have, um, you know, the alumni, you, you have at least, 
at least an email address, probably also like their actual physical address. You have probably you, a lot more information than people who are trying to organically attract top of the funnel inquiries, sure. right? Might yeah. have through organic search strategies. And so yeah. you're starting from a different place. How, how yeah. do you think about the marketing and strategy, marketing tactics and strategies that work for that audience? Does it need to be more curated? Like, do you, do you take any notes from creators and how they interact with, with their own audiences or like where, mm -hmm. how do you think about building out strategies and tactics for an audience that you do in theory own? And yet you own yeah. them kind of, but like, you know, having, having their information is one thing being able right. to remind them that they they had this great experience and they should give you money is, is another. Yeah. The challenge of like getting people to just give you money is like such an exhilarating challenge, right? <laughs> like, like if I can figure out how to get something in front of someone that's going to compel them to open their wallet and just give me money with really just like feels in return, I think like that I thought I was going to the dark side when I went from <laughs> you know, opening the doors of higher education to people in New York City to now like asking people for money. I was like, oh my gosh, all the cringing. <laughs> it's so satisfying. <laughs> Um, when you can do that. So the question with the audience, like definitely you start with something that's way more defined. Yeah. And so there's not that, there's not that whole like step of work to get them there. Yeah. They're handed to you, which yeah. is a blessing. Yeah. But then there are like, then you have to decide what you're going to do with them. Like, what's your purpose? What are like, what is your purpose in communicating to them? And then where can you, I mean, my approach to it, I'm trying to be as empathetic as possible with this audience. What is my purpose in communicating to them? And then where can I meet them in their life where they could be philanthropic or they could get, have a volunteer experience or they could make a connection with a faculty member or a student that's like also valuable to them, yeah. right? So it's thinking about that long-term relationship with the university and why do you buy into it? And at a place like Cornell, it's very clear when they're going through the enrollment process that they are buying into a lifestyle, yeah. right? Like yeah. they are buying into this brand for the rest of their life and yeah. they expect it to provide them value for the yeah. rest of their life. Yeah. Not the same for every institution, you yeah. know, not the same for your commuter community college. You probably don't have the same kind of lifelong brand affinity that you, that you know, you're buying yep. <laughs> when you, when you decide to attend a private four year or certainly one of the elite schools yeah. that's like really banking on that being part of the purchase decision. So I think that that value exchange has definitely evolved with the generations, the like greatest generation. And we still have some of the greatest generation in our alumni pool. Like they tend to be uh, like a lot of people who went to school on the GI bill. Mm. Um, a lot of people who just feel like what an incredible experience that I meet, like I feel indebted. Wow. Uh, and the generation after that, I think the baby boomer generation, there was still kind of a mix of that happening. Yeah. They feel like they, they give back because of what the institution gave them. Mm. And, um, and then Gen X, not so much, but Gen X like really also was part of like that big dot com boom yeah. and 
the return on their investment totally different than the sticker prices that the millennials got, right? Like, so it changed a little bit. But yeah, that evolution of like, you you stay connected to give back and make sure you like that the next generation gets what you got. Like yeah. that is, that has pretty much devolved, yeah. changed, evolved over time. And so our offices need to think about what the value is. It's not just that you get to hang your diploma on the wall and you have that, like um, the Andy Bernard caricature is yeah. like a perfect one for Cornell. Like, yeah. right. The, the brag worthiness is not enough, <laughs> but it, so I think about constantly putting the creative team into situations where they need to put themselves in the shoes of our audience and in the future, mm. in like a future state. So we're pretty much generating content at least a quarter ahead. So soon we'll be thinking about like, okay, new year, 2024, what yeah. are people going to need yeah. from us? And it ends up creating totally new offers for alumni that you wouldn't necessarily think that your university would be providing. And even some of the things that you would think that your university would provide you like career support and access to information and all of those kinds of things aren't like actually how the alumni offices were yeah. originally designed, which were we'll give you a reunion event and we'll just solicit you for money all the time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so definitely trying to meet them where they are and make connections that are helpful and valuable. I have several follow-up questions there, and okay. and uh, you know I, I just want to recognize that you are at at Cornell, right? And so right, sure, yes, the, I'm and, at Cornell, and given yes. and, and giving and giving like giving this this perspective is you know it, it it is a perspective. It's super valuable. It also might be it also might feel very different to somebody who's listening on the other end who is working in even if they are working in yeah. advancement, working for for a state school, right? Or or yeah. even a, a smaller private that. Um, is not is not an elite school, and yeah. with with all that said, I do have a lot of questions for you about like how yeah. how this works at Cornell and like how how you and your team work because I think it's always mm -hmm. helpful. I always find it helpful to look at like examples of places where things are you know working. There is kind of a a, a loyal following. Not that yeah. you guys have. I I have no idea what your budget is, but presumably you might have a little bit we more money to play with yeah. than some other people. Right. <laughs> and so like, because of all, it, it, I think it's super helpful to highlight yeah. these examples in these stories. And then, and then everyone can make it their own in, in, in their context with the resources that they do have and the situation that they do find themselves in. So yeah. with all of that said, do you guys get any sort of indicator when you get a new list of a graduating class or, or maybe it's your revisiting a list of folks who graduated maybe for their 10 year anniversary. And you're, you're looking through these, these names again, is, is there any sort of like indicator score of like, how was their experience at Cornell? Like, are, are there mm -hmm. any, are there metrics that you guys use to understand? Hey, Zach, Zach's a five. Like he, he was very average. He wasn't that involved. We haven't really heard from him probably not worth too much of our time, energy and attention versus Ashley, who's a nine and was super mm -hmm. involved. And she was a, a known entity on campus. And now she's, you know, working for this big law firm or whatever, right? Like, yeah. How, yeah. Are, do those sort of metrics exist? And d does your team have access to that? And do you use that to inform your marketing? Not exactly the way you're describing it. I think we, as part of the advancement work 
engaging students is part of that too. And we know we will have stronger alumni body if we insert ourselves into the student experience and help enhance that. And so we do have staff members who know the students. Yeah. We have um, individual advancement teams within colleges, within student campus life, within athletics. And so generally sure we know okay these students were part of these like student boards or they were involved in clubs that tend to produce really strong alumni affinities the band the marching band and like some of the glee club and chorus and like these people that will come back for like the tradition of the university right so there are some kind of key indicators like that where we could say like oh maybe we should reach out to these groups or these student leaders um but what we don't do is the scoring. Yeah. Um, we don't do, and we don't do it for alumni either. And we started, we started looking into engagement modeling and scoring probably at least a decade ago yeah. and decided at that point that we were just going to have like a binary metric, either you are or you're not Yeah. paying attention to us. And we can say engaged, but for me, it's like, are they even paying attention? Yeah. Like that's what I want to know. It's either you're off the grid or you're like kind of hanging out over here. Yeah. <laughs> like you kind of know what we're doing. And I think that is, that has all we've, it's what we've needed yeah. is just to know whether, whether they're engaged, whether they're paying attention and not the depth of engagement. So we'll use it for prioritization. Yeah. Right. If we need to make some phone calls, if we need to segment an audience to, you know, convert at a certain rate, we'll use that our that engage metric. But where I think the binary metric versus like one that has all sorts of weights and measures in it is helpful is in equity. Yeah. Of what opportunities are getting in front of people because the things that you would value more are also things that are not accessible to everybody. So I've been a proponent of that binary, either either you are or you're not. And let's start from there. If you're paying attention because you're just following our stuff on Facebook or you're paying attention because you're a board of trustee member, I like equalizing that and Hmm. putting the same kind of asks in front of people just to see to give them the opportunity to respond yeah so yeah some of it's in there some of it's not that you know i think people would be shocked at the kinds of systems that we use they're pretty outdated (laughs) cornell advancement does not have a crm wow but the things that we can accomplish without some of that i think are um, scalable and valuable to small shops big shops yeah Yeah. i've always i've always like felt that advancement teams are are underutilized not that the staff is underutilized but like that that Mm -hmm. the opportunity that exists for Mm -hmm. this strategic unit on campus to to really become this like accelerator for for alumni this like this like true resource for students well beyond their 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 tenure at at the respective college or university and, and I think about like my own experience because it's, you know, the only one I've lived through. Yeah. And I went to a large state school and I, I had a very like non-traditional experience. I was traditionally aged, but I was working full time. And so I took a lot of like evening classes and I was taking a lot of online classes. But I was able to convince um, the head of the School of Business to let me do several independent studies with just faculty, uh, and, and, which was just a crazy, cool, amazing opportunity, um, which I am super, super thankful for. And, 
that reason alone is a reason why I would give. Now, unfortunately, there were lots of other things that happened at the university that I wasn't particularly fond of. And so I, I, have, I have not actually made a gift to, to this respective institution. But every communication I've received from them since graduating has been asking me for money. Like that's literally the only communication I've ever received, um, which, you know, you're, you're smiling, you're laughing. Like it, that's true, I think, of a lot of people's experiences. And yet I was thinking the other day, like I was, I actually met up with a professor of mine. He, he and I are connected on LinkedIn. We had coffee. It was great. And I was, I was telling him, I was like, you know what? Like I what I don't understand is when, when I'm in the market for like, if I was to be in the market for like a new job, right? I, why, why would I go find a headhunter? I'd rather go and find like somebody at, you know, my alma mater who is yeah. connected in the space, right? Who's re I'm still living in the, the region that I went to school in. And, and that should be like, that should be my first stop because you guys know me, like, you, you know, you know what I've done. You have a vested interest in seeing your alumni like succeed yes. and be big and be successful. Like, mm -hmm. I wish that was the first thing that everyone thought of when they thought about a career change or even just a job change is like, yeah. oh, let me go to, to my <laughs> to my advancement team. And maybe it's a different unit on campus that really needs to maybe mm -hmm. it's career service. You know, I, I know it's different depending on context, but what are like what are your yeah. thoughts on like the role of the advancement department? Not historically, but like yeah. moving out over the next decade. Yeah, I think so. This is something that I've been toying with seeing so we've created a lot of new non-traditional like offers for alumni, which yeah. end up being, I think what we're doing <laughs> is creating more of like a lifestyle brand. Yeah. Mm. So like we're putting more, like we're putting, putting more swag in front of people, putting more, like you need a new zoom background. Why isn't it from your alma mater? Like yeah. if you're like all of those kinds of things, like we've been putting out back to school, it's back to school season, right? Like very much like any retail brand would be kind of like taking over their entire website or communications with like this back to school vibe. So we're trying to like tap into what is happening into your life and yeah. how do we insert Cornell into that? Yeah. In a lot of cases, it's not coming up with something that's specific because you were an alum. It's just like, you're a human yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it is August and don't you want a new notebook or here's some like custom Cornell bullet journals yeah. pages because that's might be what you need in your life. So there's that part of it. Like, how can we just be a kind of omnipresent yeah. like lifestyle brand um i think the other the other direction where where my head goes is more like an industry news yep. source yep. so think about like how many people graduate from every other institution but will subscribe to the harvard business review yeah. like they didn't go to hbs yeah but they subscribe to their content because it's helpful industry content, yep. right? And it's extremely valuable. And from like a marketing perspective, looking at performance metrics on industry news, like the most open and click through stuff because it's helping someone yep. get a leg up in their industry. And why wouldn't universities align themselves that way yeah. to be maybe it's niche industry leaders or it's regional or whatever their differentiator is. But those are like shockingly, both of those venues are pretty new concepts yeah. for advancement teams. And I feel you with the, like everything that they send me as an ask thing. I do consult and work with other small, large public private 
universities. And a lot of times I'm brought in to do an audit, either an organizational audit or a communications audit. <laughs> and I always bring out this pie chart that shows the amount of like the volume of communication that's getting sent. And in the pie chart, what slice of that is an ask? Yeah. And it's like the entire, like there is no, <laughs> there are no slices. Like it's basically like all you're doing is asking, and it might not always be asking for money, but you're asking them to show up. Like yeah. you're asking them to show up to something or volunteer for something or like ask there. It's mostly asks. Yeah. Like we want you to connect with us and we're asking you to do something. And it's like, where's the give and take and return? Where are you even just like, raising awareness, making personal connections with these people, um, stewarding them, thanking them for being part of the community, like all of that other stuff that has to be in there to yeah. have a solid relationship. It's not. And so that's usually a light bulb moment for folks. Like you actually need to dial back the asking yeah, way, way back and put a lot more emphasis on community building and making that personal connection with the university and their life because yeah. we universities are a very tiny, 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 tiny part of anybody's life, right? Yeah. Like your everyday life, you're not thinking about your yeah. institution. And so we have to do a lot of work to insert ourselves into that everyday story. Yeah. And I think it will make the asking easier, yeah. right? If we do all of that other work up front, then when it does come time to ask, it's like, oh yeah, of course. Like, I don't even need to think about this. I don't even yeah. need to rationalize with it because I understand what you're asking me to do. I understand why it makes a difference. Yeah. And so, yeah, of course that's, you know, so really kind of like shifting that emphasis from the continual ask to all of this other stuff. And when I give those reports back, it's daunting yeah. because now it's a whole like new communication suite and a whole set of offers that they've never built before in a whole different way of working and thinking about the audience. But like, yeah, what, 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 what I think is just, and this is so obvious, right. From a consumer's perspective, right. It's like, Hey, I paid you for my four years yes. of education already. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, like we're, I don't owe you anything, right? No, now, it should keep serving you. Exactly. Right. right? And, and like, and it like keep serving you. Yeah. And, and it's like, and yet at the same time, right. Like there are brands like that mm -hmm. I have, that I continually pay every month. I've had subscriptions to for, you know, twice, three times yeah. as long as I went to school. Right. So yeah. it's not, it's not that I'm not, it's not that I'm opposed to paying you more money. Right. Right. It's that. I don't want to go to grad school right now. And so it's either that offering to, to come and, you know, go, take a grad program or to, to just give you money out of the generosity of, of my heart because of my because of the experience I had however long ago. Right. And, and, yep. and that, that is not, <laughs> that is not compelling. If I have a eight month old kid, you know, that I got to feed right now, like right. I, I, I don't have tons of extra money to give to you. And even if I did, there are, there are people that are like way, you know, they're in line before you. What I will say which I'd love yeah. to see way more of is like, so, and of course I love business. I love entrepreneurship. So this is going to be skewed to that kind of persona. Yeah. Right. But what I would love is I'd love, like, let's say I wanted to, I, I'm preparing a pitch. I'm going to go fundraise, right. For a new startup. I want to start or whatever it is. What I would love is I'd love the school of business at the school to be like, Hey, you know what? Like we've got this thing where you can come, you can just, you know, practice your pitch with practice, our students, yeah. right. Or whatever, like find ways, right. To provide value to me where I'm at in my professional journey that one don't cost you anything. Like I'm not asking you to like paint, you know, to do anything other than let me come talk to your class for 15 minutes or whatever it is. Right. But that, that, that small thing might, right. Rekindle my love for my for alma sure. mater. And then the next time that email comes, Hey, I might write you a check. Right. 
I think what most people don't know is the fundraising structure is built around universities need to balance budgets, yep. right? So the budget is set and then anything aspirational that the university wants to do is pretty much needs to be raised mm. because you can't like put something fluffy and aspirational in a budget that you're mm. trying to balance. Like the budget is set to really make sure everything is accounted for that needs to be accounted for. The students get the services that they need. The salaries get paid. Like that is pretty much where the budget ends. Otherwise it's going to get too scrutinized. Like aspirational stuff can't yeah. fit in a budget. So when universities want to do something, like when they want to be Harvard or they want to be what, you know, everyone's doing these other things. Like that's where the fundraising comes in and you get large chunks of money that you want to put in investment accounts so that they keep earning you money over time. Those are your endowments. And then the rest of the aspirational stuff needs to come in and be current. You like be able to just like spend immediately. And that's the way they've always been organized. So you had like these annual fund teams that were doing the current use money and okay, we want to raise, I don't know, we'll say $3 million this year that we can just spend this year and it's not earmarked to anything and it's going to be super helpful. And then, you've got major gift fundraisers who are bringing in the big checks and those are basically just going into your endowment and we'll just sit there. But what they didn't account for was like direct funding. Mm. What they didn't account for was the millennial crowdfunding <laughs> generation yeah. that we are. Where like, sure, a dean, um, I like picking on the engineering deans because they're practical and I've been around engineers forever. But like the engineering dean has had these like, teams of students and they want to go on like all these competitions and stuff. Well, that's not stuff that's like going to make it always into the budget. Yeah. (laughs) And so he would, the Dean would be like, okay, like you fill out your paper and I'll give you money to go on your trip. Right. And there's like kind of a process for the Dean giving those funds. Well, now if the teams can direct fund themselves because they have alumni who used to be on the team where they have people, like they got parents, they've got their aunts and uncles that can kind of direct fund them. Then what happens to the dean's money. Well, mm. maybe the dean doesn't need as much, yeah. or maybe they're going to allocate it somewhere else. So the like crowdfunding really br- like kind of blew up yeah. that whole system. Yeah. And it was also teaching us the millennial donors that we can direct fund stuff. Yeah. And so yeah. when they say like, give to the annual fund and you're like, but where does <laughs> but that why? go? And <laughs> yeah. what does that do? Versus someone saying like, Hey, Zach, there's this team of entrepreneurs that have a pitch competition in New York City and the bus, like they need money for their bus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The dean could say, give me annual fund money and maybe I'll pay for their bus or a student being like, I need some bus money. And you're like, of course, here's your bus money. Like, good luck. Tell me how it goes. There are other schools that have broken through the internal politics, basically to say, no, actually, we're going to skirt around that. We're going to let people direct fund. We're going to give the donors what they want and it's but it's really scary for these institutions to kind of break their whole like financial model and let people direct fund stuff yeah Yeah. it's like that whole like like the whole charity water model i think that they're seen as one of like the 
more iconic contemporary nonprofit organizations where they could literally show you, hey, your, you know, X dollars went and built this exact well. And like, we're yep. going to, you know, uh, Skype you in as you see this drilling happen. And that was exactly. your dollar exactly. And like that, that made us, that made me feel like yeah. really, really, really compelled. And therefore you mm -hmm. translate that expectation across, across all these other arenas. Right. Totally. And, and yet, right. Like what, what also, I, I think it really just presents a, a fun marketing challenge, right? Like, okay, hey, if you do, if you do need the annual fund to 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 be filled, right? To, to mm -hmm. what what does that mean for your for your team? Like, how how do yeah. you make the annual fund attractive? Yeah, it's really yeah, hard. yeah. Even like talking about scholarship is hard. Yeah, um, I'm working on like raising some money for scholarships, and I really wanted to be able. I want to break it down for small donors. Like, I'm not yeah. doing anything over a thousand. Like, I'm not expecting anybody I reach to make a gift over a thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole different animal. Yeah, I'm just trying to like get people to participate right and but like a, the average scholarship award for a cornell student is fifty thousand dollars like yeah i can't get you know your 25 dollar gift to feel like it's helping that student yeah like i it would like maybe we can buy a coffee during finals and that yeah. could feel good yeah. but like 25 dollars <laughs> for your scholarship does not feel good yeah and so trying to like break that down and the best i can do requires a graduate economics degree where I can say, if we come together and raise $25,000, yeah, that is worth the spending power of a $625,000 endowment gift. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's the best. But like, yeah. that takes a, like, yeah. you need to understand a whole lot for that. To, like, sure. That's compelling. If we, you know, yeah. if we all pull our money, but then it's like, and then a student got a semester's worth of funding. Yeah. You know? So it's like a real, it's a real daunting thing to even for people who receive scholarship who might feel like, yeah, scholarship's important. We got to make sure it's not just all the wealthy kids that can go yeah. to school. Like yeah. that is actually a compelling cause for a lot of people, but man, it's hard to get it down to like, why is my dollar matter? That is, it's really hard on that kind of a scale. So yeah, we do see a much higher acquisition of donors when it's that direct funding or we saw it when we could be really specific about the need yeah. like during the fall of 2020 when we did a scholarship drive it's like like we have a huge chunk of students whose parents have lost their jobs they're not working they are asking us to redo their financial aid packages we budgeted for this and yeah. now we actually need current use money like and everybody every like cent counts like that that worked yeah <laughs> that was real yeah yeah so i, I like I, I agree with you it is a challenge the other place where i think we found success is offering things that are valuable and putting like an option to give a donation so like giving something for free yeah. that is of clear value yeah and putting on that registration form an optional gift where you're like wow i'm gonna get like a cooking lesson from this like james beard or winning yeah, alumna who's yeah. gonna teach me how to cook like chinese dumplings over zoom like, this is awesome i would pay for that yeah and instead we're offering it for free and you know your donations go to the campus grocery yeah. for low-income students right like that kind of really super tangible stuff really really fun from a marketing perspective to like 
try to put the pieces together and see how we can start drumming up support and then talking to those people who maybe made their gift for the first time because yeah. of Irene Lee's stumbling yeah. class. Yeah. <laughs> talking to them about philanthropy then in a way that is maybe a little bit more meaningful than when they weren't a donor at all. I think like that's like those, those sorts of strategies, right? Like when I, when I think about what it would take for me, right. To, to want to make a contribution to, to my alma mater, it is, it is things like that, right? It's like you mentioned earlier, people don't spend that much time thinking about, you know, their, their institution. We're not like, it's not like present on their mind day in and day out. And yeah. I, I think that you're right. However, right. College is one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive investments outside of maybe a home, maybe a wedding, depending on your wedding, like you sure. know, outside of those two things, right. It's an incredible investment. And what other sort of like immersive product, like on average students are spending, you know, four and a half, whatever it is, years, living, breathing, fully yeah. immersed in your product offering. Right. Yeah. And, and so that is a chunk of, of your life. Whereas like, I, I don't know how much time you'd spend as immersed in a brand, right. Mm -hmm. For those four and a half years uh, as you yeah. do the rest of your life. Right. Like and, it might and, be a city. It might be a team. Exactly. It might it be might, like, yeah. those, but those are the comparable. But those are, yeah. Those, those, those and are that's the where I think of like, I don't know. Am I onto something with this lifestyle brand? I think like, you I'm are. Onto, like, I think you are. It's not what we've traditionally been doing. It's certainly no. not. Um, and, and like, we know who, who wouldn't want that. Like I show up to that virtual cooking class or whatever it is, right? Like, mm -hmm. Hey, maybe I like connect with Ashley. We're like laughing in the chat together. Come to find out Ashley has this job at, you know, company X. And uh, that's actually a company that I would love to work at one day. Maybe we yeah. start connecting. We start chatting offline, whatever. I connect with her on LinkedIn. Right. And then three years later, I'm, I'm working at this job because we met in this virtual cooking class, like talk about value add. Right. And then right when I get that email for the annual fund, I remember that cooking class and I remember Ashley and I remember the fact that she helped get me this job and my affinity for my alma mater immediately goes up. Right. And, and that's, that's when you, you have to capitalize on when affinity is great. And I think that that's, that is the future. And, and what you just described earlier. And, and I think in that little example I just gave, though that's what i think of when i think of a lifestyle brand are, are those sorts of touch points that kind of grow with yeah. you as your context changes yeah yeah and a lot of it does start i think i think what my peers would also say is a lot of it does start with the student experience yeah. and so someone who was living on campus for all four years has a stronger affinity to yep. their alma mater than someone who was, who was commuting yep. or even who just lived on campus the first year and then went off. Yep. Yep. And so you can like kind of, you can see direct correlations with how much they're engaged as an alum based on what that student experience was. Plus we're coming out of like three classes, at least that felt COVID deeply yep. and their experience. And, and I think the feedback that we've been hearing from alumni at Cornell is like, yes, Cornell is awesome. Like we get it. Like Cornell, like you guys are crushing it, yeah. right? Like <laughs> scientific breakthroughs. Yeah. Like the students are having a great time. It's great. It's great. It's great. But like, not all of it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's not all great. Yeah. Like tell me what's not great. and needs help. Like, yeah. Tell me what's not like be a little bit more humble, mm. be a little bit, like a little bit more honest in that not every student experience is a great experience and it could be better. And yeah. we need your help. Like mm. how many students could we speak to if we talked about like we were honest about student experience and yeah. what they came through and we like listen and like okay we don't want it to be like that for other students so how can we what can we do together to learn from your experience and yeah. make it better and I think that is also a tough part for 
alumni teams who are like all about pride and yeah. like all about like shining a really bright light on the institution and being like people are gonna we want people to be excited and yeah. that's a real turn off especially for gen z who's like no it's not yeah. <laughs> what you're saying it is <laughs> it's that whole that whole like kind of cradle to grave experience what was it like when they came in yeah. what were the what was the experience that they had and if that's not all great then what does the alumni team need to do to kind of write that yeah or do we just lose those people yeah Ooh. yeah yeah which is you know and 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 these are these are all really tough questions yeah but but hey i i'm excited that there are people like you ashley who are immersed in this and, and trying to figure this out it's Figuring it out. it's exciting it's exciting well hey this has been a, a wonderful conversation i really appreciate your time and and the great work that you do if folks who are listening to this want to ask you a question i, I know that you mentioned mm -hmm. that you do some consulting if they're interested in that i know that you and one of my fellow podcast hosts on the internal Five podcast network day are writing a book yeah. or have written a book and it's published or it's yeah. going to be published soon on email marketing and so so give us a, a little plug about like where you want people to go if they want to connect with you or learn more about what you're up to. Definitely. I'm happy to take connections on LinkedIn. You can find, I'm the Ashley Bud that works at Cornell. <laughs> <laughs> my website, ashleybud.com has all my contact information on it too and consulting services and workshops. I write a newsletter you can subscribe to there. And then you can look for the email book that Dave Kibbles and I are writing. We don't have a title for it yet. It's just called Email Book. The Email Book. <laughs> um, but you can find it at emailbook.co and you can get on the list to be notified when it's um, published. We probably will also go out to that early list with some advanced readers to get feedback on. So we'd nice. love to have folks sign up there, but it'll be, it'll make all your email dreams come true. <laughs> I, sure I love it. And we'll go ahead and we'll drop all those links that Ashley just mentioned in the show notes. If you're listening to this, just scroll on down wherever you're listening to this podcast and click on those links. If you'd like to connect with Ashley or learn more about her consulting and of course her book, but Ashley, thank you so much for the time. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure. Hey y'all, Zach here from Enrollify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Enrollify podcast. If you liked this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing learning community of 4,000 members and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.